Hey, everybody, it's John, and thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks our way so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way, and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right. Hey, y'all. It's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hey, Augie Carton. I'm John Hall. How the hell are you? John Hall, I am I am fatigued. I had quite the week. Did you? Wednesday, Wednesday, I released I released the exact kind of beers that make you insane with Magnify Brewing in in New Jersey, but they were so many things in those beers that you don't love. Okay. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm glad you could get your shameless self-promotion out of the way. Now that was cause... Wednesday, and that was a tremendous amount of drinking. Then Thursday night was the actual Carton's anniversary party. Yeah, thanks for the we're 11. It was a private party this year. The, uh, the bar we hold it in, Joe Boyle, is not open to the public. So we, we had no guests, just Carton Brewing employees, which made for more drinking rather than less. Uh, so that tuckered me out. And now I've had a weekend of bike ride training, so I'm just exhausted. So you do all the talking. But Excellent. why don't I introduce Ron Pattinson? Well, let's just Our- very quickly say at the top of the show, congratulations to Justin Kennedy and family. Justin's on paternity leave for the next couple of weeks. And so uh, Cass is filling in as both producer and engineer and handsome hipster number four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and-, and-, and killing it. Yeah, and doing and do just a bang up job and excelling at that like yeah. nobody can. Uh, all right, Augie, turn off your video and then oh. please introduce our guests and then we're going to get right into it. <laughs> hey, Ron Pattinson, how are you all the way over from England? What time is it for you over there? Uh, well, I'm not in England. I'm in Amsterdam. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Even further. That's one more hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's um, 6.15 p.m. here. Oh, that's lovely. So you've already had a couple beers at this point. Um, yeah, I think this is my second one. Nice. nice. Uh, and there was a gin and tonic earlier as well. So because uh, it's Sunday. Smart. And, it, and it's so hot here. It's so ridiculously hot. How hot and is it at the moment? Um, I think in here it's about 30 degrees um, Celsius, which is like. 85 or something, I think. Yeah, that's that's perfect gin and tonic weather. Yeah, that's inside the house. <laughs> oh, God. That's right, because <laughs> nobody really has air conditioning. No, because you never needed it before this year, or before the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah now now people are getting air conditioning, but yeah, it, it's, it's hot. It, it, it's stupid to think that it's hotter here than it was when I was in Tijuana a, a week and a half ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's fun. So I imagine that's actually, a, you know, everybody's like, what's the next business? I bet you retrofitting air conditioning into 600 year old buildings in Northern Europe is becomes a big job in the next decade, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think more, more and more people are going to do it just because it, it, it's, yeah, you're starting to need it. And we're not so bad because we're on the on the ground floor, but the people on the higher floors, it's terrible. It just gets so hot. Yeah, that's amazing. That's- so What's we should point about- out because I just very quickly, though, we should point yeah, out that Ron right. is noted beer historian, noted author, all around great curmudgeon when it comes to certain aspects of beer. And curmudgeon, just somebody curmudgeon. well, just so in my dealings fu- with you in the fu- past. What's funny is because Ron's one of the few guys who's come on the show whose credentials I knew before he came on the show, I just assumed everybody knew who Ron was. But um, it is is curmudgeon unfair? Yeah, I think I'm, I, I just call myself a realist. <laughs> <laughs> 
Noted beer realist. Okay. Yeah. No, noted right, beer. Consider me corrected. I'm very, I'm very fair. I, 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 I mean, I've just been drinking a whole shitload of IPAs in, in, in the States. Um, you know? Um, Does that make but, you... So as a historian and as somebody who I know cares deeply about hops Wait, and recipes you're, you're jump, and tradition you're too far too fast am i hold no on, hold on yes way too far way too fast so if we're assuming that thieves don't know ron let's let's take this a little slower and let's get to it because they would have heard his name a couple times because once or twice we had american brewers on the show who were doing a recreation of a very old beer. I can't think of the name of the person and believe it or not, this is where I think Kennedy would really add value right now, but I know we've had people on that have used Ron's writings or worked with Ron to create, you know, well, Mike Karnaski of Zebulon. Okay. So there you go. So, and he's been on the show and we talked about it. It came up then, but so. so Oh, well, well, Mike's a really good bloke. Mike, Mike, Mike did. He did the, the recreated my dream, which was a pub with all the beers that you'd find in the London pub in 1910 on draft. And he did that one of the times I went to Zebulon and I was, <laughs> I was so happy. <laughs> now, was it everything you dreamed? Did you oh, have yeah. the conversation it, or did people just talk about the beer? Um, well, people were talking about it, but that was just, just something purely selfish for me. I just wanted to try all those beers, the, 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 a full set of London Edwardian beers. So it's my dream that is to have a pub that, and a proper Edwardian pub in in Britain, where they sell, or you just have a range of all the Edwardian beers that you would have had, and and yeah. So talk about the press of that. What was the name of your blog? Stop talking about what, no. What shut was up that? about Barclay Perkins. Right. Shut up about Barclay Perkins. Um, and that was just you digging through old recipes, old files, and old places, and putting together what it was. But kind of at the time when. America was kind of retelling a fictional story about IPA. So between you and the writings of Pete Brown, we got real answers on what IPAs would have been. Do you, do you feel I'm giving you the credit you deserve and not too much or too little of what was going on there? No, I mean, I, th- I think I, I think the various bit, we've got Martin Cornell as well, who was contributing right. to this. Of course. So, um, Sorry about that. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's been a, an upturn in interest in actual proper beer history as opposed to just made up crap, which is what a lot of it was. And I think there's a few of us have been trying very hard with this to, to have some factual based history out there. And, you know, some of the things I've got to do have been really interesting. Like, like, you know, the thing about IPA, which we, which we were just talking about, one of the great things was when I did the beer with, with uh, Goose Island, the, uh, Obadiah, uh, uh, the, um, Brewery Yard IPA was just wonderful to say what would have a, a, a an IPA brewed the way they actually brewed them in the 19th century in the UK what would that taste like and it was completely unlike modern IPAs and from that point of view I thought it was a really worthwhile experiment it, it, it proved something to me which was that Orval was meant to be a, an imitation of a stock IPA and people have laughed mm-hmm. at me for that one and I was proved right in the end yes Sorry, I love it. But I'm a big fan of Orval, by the way. John hates it. Yeah, but, uh, Orval. But, uh, I, I love Orval. The, the stock, the stock IPA we did. The only beer that people could liken it to was Orval, because you got the combination of Britannomyces and loads and loads of Golding's hops, and that combination is a, is a, I think a wonderful what? thing, and it is. And it's weird that the only remaining example of that that's regularly brewed would be from Belgium and not from the UK. See, I, I know why you're saying that, but I think the problem there is Orval is too good at what it does. So, so I worked for years on a recipe that we now call something nice, which is like a mixed ferment saison, and the key to it was adding some spelt. But every time I explain to people what I want, like I dumped that beer like 80 times to get it to where I wanted to be. But every time I described it, I was like, when it's done, I want it to be like Orval. And I don't mean like a clone of Orval. I want it to have some of that some of that fruitiness, some of that spiciness, some of that bitterness, some of this, some of that viscosity, some of that. I want it to age for five years and be different every fucking time you touch it. And that's what we got to do. However, from my instinct, if you said to me, Augie, go clone Orval, I'd be like, 
Nobody needs to make any other Orvals. Orval is perfect. Do you know what I mean? So I think Orval won because it's fucking delightful and yes. nobody else need yeah, to try to do that. When when in history though, or when in the in in your research did you see like when people stopped talking about Orval in IPA terms? Because oh, when you look, when you look at the said, recipe and like I've talked to them about it, like it has those bones to it clearly. I've never seen it referred to as an IPA. I'm just saying that this is just what I thought of it when I tasted it. This is just 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 purely me. Okay. And, and putting the things together, and when it was first brewed, uh, and and to me, it's, it it seems like it's probably a, a, a version of the of the bottled bass that you had at that point. So like, which was still a stock ale in the 20s and 30s, still had Britannomyces in it. So as far as that, for for me, it seems like Orval is a, a, is an attempt to copy a Burton IPA, Pro probably deliberately bass. I like that. That's neat. Now, so the bass I would know obviously is nothing like what you're describing, right? I, I was a bass drinker. Well, it's the American bass. Right, so that's what I'm saying. But the bass I know is the American more bass. like Coors Killian's Red than anything like Orval. You know what I mean? Like like it was in the in the early 90s around here, it was a bright amber, kind of sweet, kind of hoppy ale. Right. So, so well, when see, do you I'm, think that variety hat? When do you think that variation happened? Well, it, um, well, I lived in the States in the mid 80s. Mm -hmm. And I remember drinking the bass ale there. And it was nothing like anything called bass in the, in the UK. Gotcha. Draft bass, the, when it still went through the, the unions, was an amazing beer. Um, incredibly complex. Um, and with the proper Burton farty smell, which you get from the water, um, and a wonderful beer. Um, even, even after they'd stopped putting it through the unions, it was still a pretty good beer, Draft Bass, but nothing like the, the beer they sold in the States, which probably would have been originally a version of the, of the bottled Bass, so Red Triangle, which would have been a 6.5% beer. Um, but which is something that which in the UK you would never have had, and that the sort of keg version they had in the States was not like any any beer that you had in the UK. So when so, you say draft bass, that would have been a hand pump we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 that, okay, that's, okay, that's okay. Cask, cask bass. Yeah, um, that, yeah got it. Which, 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 was, which could be an incredible beer if it was looked after properly, but it was, it was a bit sensitive. So if you didn't have a good landlord, it wouldn't taste that great, but a, a good landlord, it tastes amazing. And nobody's doing anything like that at all with that oldest of trademarks, huh? Um, well, there's a whole story about this that I probably shouldn't go into very much, but I blame Coors. That's all Obviously, I'm say. everybody blames Coors. I, no, just Coors, blame Coors, Coors, Coors I just blamed Coors for what you call Red Triangle, but I call Bass Draft because when I was 18, 19, and 20, it was the Bass yeah, Ale no. on tap all Wait. over America, but it tasted like Coors Red. Yeah, but I'm curious as to all right. So why why course? Why course? He just, he just said he signed an NDA. He did not say that. <laughs> no, no, no. Course, course, course. Um, own the brewing records of Bass. That's the problem, and which is why I can't get to look at them. Which is one of the things that most drives me nuts. It, it, is it? Do, do they still have them? You believe, or are they just? Oh yeah, don't yeah, like yeah, you yeah, and they, won't they, let they, you they in the door. They're, they're, ca they're cataloged in this one archive. You just can't look at them. Had they given you a reason why? Um, no, but they, secrets, won't, they won't let anyone look at them. Um, but yeah, I'm not allowed to either. See, it used to be Guinness, I thought, were the worst, because Guinness, the first time I told, asked them if I could look at their archive, they told me to go away. We don't let people do that. But since then, I've actually been to the Guinness archive. Um, so I've seen some of the Guinness records, and I thought they were the most secretive people in the beer world, but... No, obviously not. Coors are much worse. Hmm. I've also got some other terrible stories about Coors, which I probably shouldn't go into. Which well, I, no, not I mean, not if you want to be nice to them to get access to these records. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, since yeah, that's yeah, probably I'll, never going to happen. Go for it. Yeah, no, and no, here's I'm, the safe bet: nobody at Coors corporate is listening to steal this beer. 
No, I'm not, <laughs> not going to continue about the stuff about course because I've told yeah. my kids and they were they were quite uh, no. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> Moving right along. Well, no, I, this is would, usually would you what like I'd us to start. Beer. Hold on, hold on. This is usually on. what I'd I want to. I just want to know from Ron very quickly if he wants us to start a letter writing campaign to the Coors Corporation. John, no, there's only one access. letter writing campaign. Oh, to get me access? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that might be quite good, yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, I mean, you know, I've signed NDA agreements before, so there's there's some breweries whose records I have where I've signed agreements that I won't publish recipes from them. Um, so I'd be happy to do that with Coors and not publish the best recipes. It's just... I want to know this stuff. And it's one of the things that drives me nuts because it's such an important brewery and I know the records exist and I'd so like to see them. And, and <laughs> it, it's, it's just I've been trying for years and gone through loads of people and got absolutely nowhere. And it, When did Coors acquire Bass? Because I don't feel like it's that long ago, but I feel like that um, might just be old man the, memory. I think in the late 90s, early 2000s. I always thought that that was an AB property for some reason. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. AB have the rights to the beers. Okay, but they not have the, trade, the... They, they have the trademarks. Coors has the brewery and the old brewing records. So weird. All right, so this is usually when we talk about beer one, but you'll remember at the top of the show, Thieves, we announced that Justino is on paternity, and thusly we do not have beers you know, we don't have blind beers to drink, but that's fine. This conversation is more about history anyway. So let's move to, have you been to Firestone? Have you seen their Burton system? And what do you think of it per um, this conversation about Bass? Uh, okay. From what I've heard, it's not a proper union system. They um, say it is, don't they? Uh, uh, Haven't yeah, they but, said that on this show? Yeah. Did they do the primary fermentation in there? Mm. I don't know the answer to that. I was under the impression they did. Because the way a union system normally works is primary fermentation and open rounds. Then when you get to the cleansing phase, so when you're about two-thirds way through the fermentation, then it goes into the unions to get the yeast out. Most of the fermentation is conducted before it gets to the unions. Hmm. That's the the Burton way of doing it. Um, so, so, so the Burton, Burton unions aren't fermentation vessels. They're cleansing vessels. They're, they're things that are meant to get the yeast out of the beer. Gotcha. They're, not where, they're not where you do most of the fermentation. I think, that, I think if I remember right, and I probably don't, but if I remember it being described to us on the show by both Brindleson and what's-his-name, um, that the, I think primary is happening in those vessels as well. Um, yeah, that's so not, that, that's, not. That, that's not, not not the way, not the way unions were used in the in, in Britain. They were. Uh, so, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, and I find it great that anyone's even no, bothering to have something like beer. even bothering to have something like a union system, be, mm-hmm. because I've spoken to brewers, and and they all said the same thing about why why they got rid of them was they were a nightmare to clean. Yeah. Which was a nightmare to keep sterile. Dirty you've got open all wood. this wood. And and it didn't matter so much in the nineteenth in the nineteenth century when when they wanted a secondary Britannomyces fermentation. Well, it didn't matter if you got loads of Britannomyces in the in the unions, but that becomes a bit more of a problem when you're not trying to brew stock beers. Uh, I miss the idea of stock beers. I once tried to blend up a stock beer. Uh, you know, like a more like a British barley wine stock beer with a with a with a barrel that had gone brett, but kind of nicely brett. And every person I gave it to hated it, so I had to give up on that idea. What proportion did you do? Well, at the time, we did about twenty percent of the brett affected beer to eighty percent of the clean, but then move that over to make sure any brett that came to life for any residual sugar would dry out, and then bottle conditioned it. And I loved it; I thought it was super pretty, but. For everybody else, it was a little too confusingly pruny, if you will. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> it was the bit that the next beer I've got coming out. I'm, I'm, I have to do this. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to slip into American mode, doing all the self promotion. Do all you want. Do all you but, want. But, but, John can't beer. help himself. I'm usually pretty good about it. Oh, it, it, it yeah, next beer. <laughs> this beer we've got 
that I've, we've already done with Goose Island. So with me, Goose Island, and uh, Derek Prentice from Truman's. So it's an old Truman's barley wine recipe from the 1870s, blend of um, beer that's been aged for a year or so in oak with Britannomyces, with young beer, about uh, a third old to two thirds uh, new. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting, I mean, especially seeing as we had Derek involved, who's probably one of the last people who'd actually seen the original beer being blended back in the 1960s. So, um, yeah, really interesting beer. I mean, I've got some bottles of it. Um, and when, it, when does that come out? It comes out in October officially. So I'm going to be doing uh, something in, in Chicago. Me and um, Derek are going to be over there. We're now, yeah, hopefully get to drink lots of the beer. I imagine this is why Coors won't let you in because you're working with AB. Well, that, maybe that's the problem. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> I'm just. Go I'm just going to keep picking that scab, buddy. That's kind of what I do. Anyway, so, John, you had, you had important questions at the beginning that I was deferring to get some some history in. So but you go. I have a new question though because you brought up Goose Island and it made me recall a beer that they made w- without you a, a while back, but. Over the course of time, and 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 certainly in in the realm of your area of expertise, were there seasonal IPAs that brewers would make for you know, specific seasons or specific holidays? Like I'm thinking of a Christmas IPA. Is no. is that something that existed in history in the past, or is that no, a seen, completely seen, modern marketing invention? No, I've seen I've, I've seen Christmas beers, and all the Christmas beers I've ever seen, they were all. Uh, mild or old ales that were being specifically brewed for Christmas. So it sometimes says for Christmas on them. So so I've definitely got some 19th century brews, Christmas brews, and they're all, yeah, strong, mild, old ales. What do you, what do you make of how IPA has evolved to where it is now? Well, I find it really fascinating. Uh, Right. I might moan about lots of things in the modern beer world, but one of the things that I really find fascinating is to see, is to just see how things change. And I think a lot of people in the beer world don't realise how dynamic beer styles were in the past. And they're quite surprised to see them moving fairly quickly in the modern age. Now, I would say that they're probably moving a bit quicker than in the past, apart from times when there were really big stresses, like during the wars and stuff. But it's nothing unusual. And, and, and yeah, I, I mean, for me, I, I just find it fascinating to see the way that the, the concept of American IPA has gone from something that was this clear, you know, quite bitter beer with definitely American hops and has progressed to this, you know, something that looks like orange juice. <laughs> and, and to see that, yeah, just to see the way that things have progressed. And, and, and you know, you, you know, because I'm interested in the history of beer, you know, history doesn't stop. History didn't stop in the 1970s. It continues on. And, and so for me, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how beer is continuing to develop. And, you know, OK, some of these beers I might not want to drink, but that doesn't mean that they're not interesting from a historical point of view. And the, 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 the thing that I really, really, really worry about is the fact that brewing records aren't being preserved. I was and, just about uh, to ask you that. Yeah. And, and that this is the big problem that the, the brewing records of craft breweries aren't being preserved. And that in 20 years time, people are going to try and look back on this and they'll have virtually no proper data. And this is one of the things that I love about the periods that I study is that it's when like, people put them in a big fucking ledger. So this big book that it's really difficult to lose. And you see how current brewers records are they might be on a, a sheet of paper, maybe. They might just be in a computer. It's something that can be really easily lost, really easily destroyed. And the big ledgers of the past, they were things that, well, no, you weren't just going to put them in a bin casually, whereas it's just pieces of paper, much more likely to happen. And, and I suspect that someone's try, who's trying to do what I'm doing now in 50 years' time is going to find that there's very little hard evidence left of the recipes and the way people actually brewed. And I've, I've been trying to put this out and trying to encourage people to, to actually, you know, think about the future and think about preserving this stuff. But I think I'm shouting into the void, to be honest. 
Augie, I imagine that you being from Jersey, that you know you have a bookbinder guy. Like you have a guy who probably works in papyrus and fine leather. And <laughs> this has got to be one we, of the we things. Still, now. We still prefer vellum over a carton. To this, be is, but this is this is one of the things where I, I, I feel like Ron is now challenging you to put all of your fuckery into we have one it all. book. We have it all. Okay, but is it nicely bound so that the historians 50 years well, from now in, it's when it's they not pick nicely through... bound, but it's here's the problem. And this is what I was confused about Ron's Ron's statement, but I didn't want to sidetrack him. It's it's each year is three ring binder bound everything we brewed that year and all its notes. So so we just revisited Panzanella, which I hadn't brewed since year one. And we're we're now eleven, Ron. I don't expect you to be fully aware of Carton, but we're 11 now, so it was somebody asked me to remake that beer. I hadn't made it in 10 years, and you know it was my recipe. I remember the broad strokes, but not. Yeah, the I remember. How, I, I know how humble you are, but just for Ron's sake, as a, as a beer to, realist, can you tell him what's in Panzanella? Uh, well, I'm sure, he is aware of the salad, but just so that he can hear you say what you put into your beer. Right, anyway. <laughs> okay, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but so anyway, Ron. So you must know the Hop Summit. Yeah. Uh, so Summit Hops throws off an entire kind of garlic onion thing, which so when I started 11 years ago, hops were what intrigued me. Like what drew me in was things like Cascade and Citra, what was going on in kind of IPAs in the the 90s and aughts. And I was that guy who would, you know, seek out. 60 and flower power and nugget nectar and green flesh and all those things. And they were really excited me. And when I was brewing, that's what attracted me. But once we decided to open the brewery, I started really fucking around with all the hops. And this is, you know, Citra was a new hop back then. Um, and we were using it, but I was, I just wanted to use every hop. I wanted to know every hop. I was trying everything. And Summit just befuddled me. I was like, why do they make this hop that tastes like onions and garlic? Um, so rather than try to figure out how to use small amounts of it in lager to complementary and not seeing where the world was going to kind of abusing citra in late fermentation to smell a little like onions and garlic, I was looking for where in the world fucking onion and garlic made sense in beer. And to me, that was the Tuscan panzanella salad because it's just bread, right? And a clean ale tastes like bread. So we whipped up a little 4% british british yeast you know just straight up crackery pale put some in it and then we put some sun-dried tomatoes and cucumbers in it to make it taste like that and if it was a different world i probably would have made it as a stock ale to give it some of that you know acetic slash you know tossed in a salad dried out thing but it's not safe so it's just a clean little pale with a ton of summit hops and then tomatoes and cucumber to complement that. That is not why I'm telling you the story, but that's the beer. So that was what I did 11 years ago. And when somebody asks to revisit it, my brewer now is five brewers since the guy I wrote that recipe with Jesse. I said, Oh, just go into the 2011 book. It'll be in August. There it is. And that's what we did. And we rebrewed the exact recipe. So well, I'm glad you. I think we're doing that. I think you're being much better than most breweries because I've been into a lot of breweries and asked them, and their records were way more chaotic. I'm, I'm really glad that you've been doing that. Um, Thank you. What, what I would say is you should maybe consider about, you, you know, um, putting your records somewhere digitally that's safe, so that at some point you can release them. Um, yeah, just so everything's preserved because no, I, 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 you know, I, it's it's one of well, the wonderful things about about British brewing is that a lot of these records have been preserved because they're also um, they're also tax records, so they're legal documents, so they're things that didn't get thrown away very quickly because yeah, you couldn't right. throw them away. You had to keep them for a certain number of years, and that's why there's loads of them. And I really worry about how much is going to be get kept from the modern brewing world. I think very, very little. Um, and, and it's a real shame because if you want to do proper analysis of what people were really brewing, you can't just uh, listen to, you know, go by what people were saying about their beers. You have to look and, and say the production records and yeah, this is actually how they brewed them. This is the ingredients they used. This is the mashing temperatures they used. 
Yeah. So I get. I guess what I would say to that, just for how we're doing, and it's funny. I never ask anybody else how they do it. I just assumed everybody did the same thing. But so you know. Well, when the no, most no, of no, what you're saying, most of what you're not, saying, definitely not from my experience. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, no, I get you're, it. You're very but, good from, from my uh, experience, John. Write it oh, down. God. Write it down, John. Write but, it down. So, in um, addition, on, though, what I'm saying, but just to finish, so just just to be clear, the printout is a digital recipe, right? We've got a log of all that shit, but the day's notes are handwritten. Yeah, you know the, that's, that's the what thing. that's what's in the binder. Right. Yeah. So, that, that's the I mean? important like, stuff. The, the, the stuff that the stuff that reflects what you actually did that day. Yeah. So my my follow up to that is digital is great. But if somebody was going to donate these papers one day to some sort of, you know, higher education facility, is there a repository that you feel is um, welcoming say, of these documents? I would say somewhere like UC Davis, somewhere that has a proper brewing program, would I, I, I would hope would appreciate them. And I, I, I know in Britain there's plenty of archives that will take all, all this sort of um, stuff. But people should be really thinking about this because yeah. otherwise American, everything's going to get forgotten <laughs> about American brewing and people aren't going to know. They're going to look back in you know 50 or 100 years' time, they're going to say, yeah, there's all these weird IPAs that people made. I wonder what they tasted like, but but now we got no 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 no, no, no recipes for them anymore. Do you, I'm, do you, I'm five do you generations when, from on, now, on, though, on. it's going to be like, what are marshmallow peeps? Do you remember some weird uh, some weird movie with Sylvester Stallone where one of the jokes running was that when Taco Bell won the fast food wars? Uh, first of all, it's Demolition Man, and second of all, it's the greatest Sylvester Correct. Stallone movie that stars Dan Cortez. But but. Rod, are you familiar with this movie as well? Because the joke. No, no, I'm not. Everything they eat everywhere they go is Taco Bell, no matter what. Right. Like the best restaurant in the town, the, the worst, everything is Taco After Bell. After the earthquake destroys the West Coast, there's the fast food restaurant wars and Taco Bell wins. Taco Bell and wins. And now all <laughs> restaurants are Taco Bell. But when you were saying that, I have this fear that that exactly what you're looking for is Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock going, well, that's before White Claw won the beer wars. <laughs> and we're all like damn it <laughs> oh white claw that, that, I, was, I was explaining to my kids what white claw was when we were in the states recently uh, it, it hasn't hit, it, it hasn't hit amsterdam yet yeah i think it has just about hit over here but there's yeah. a fantastic meme circling right now that says white claw tastes like drinking static while somebody shouts the name of a fruit from a different room <laughs> it's not wrong that that's as far as I know, that is the most accurate tasting note I've heard for it. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm never going to taste it myself. I have, you don't have you don't have professional curiosity. Not really. It's not beer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. You know, over here, it's beer. No, it's not beer. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, no, it very much. Is. It's so yeah. it's an interesting thing going on over here. Rod. So so America being America, going back to your reference to taxes. We tax differently whether the alcohol in the product was derived through fermentation or distillation. So if you pick up a 6% RTD from one of the liquor companies, it's taxed significantly more than if you pick up a 6% RTD from one of the beer companies. And that is currently a very big political infighting down in DC where the James Beam people are trying to get their taxes lowered and the Sam Adams people are trying to get keep them from getting their taxes lowered. I but like how formal you are as, with Jim Beam, James as, Bean. As far as the is that not the name of it? Um, as I, th far I, as I thought the, he was just the folksy guy that went by Jim. He may be. I, I never met the gentleman. Um, but anyway, so around here, Ron, it's beer. No shit. It's beer as defined by our government. So that's that's the point I'm making when I say that. Yeah, well, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> But this is one of the the big things I've noticed since I started going into the beer history thing is what a huge effect governments have on beer, what type of beer is brewed, how much it costs, exactly what it's like. And yeah, taxation is, is one of the most 
one of the biggest driving forces in in beer history and in, in beer evolution, I would say. It's nothing to do with innovative brewers coming up with clever recipes or anything. It's with brewers coming up with stuff that was cheaper to brew than their rivals and taking right. advantage as best as they could of the of the tax laws. And, and, and you see, like in the States, the States alcohol beer market is completely distorted because it's the only place in the world where it's a flat tax, no matter how strong the beer is. I, I don't know of any other country, not any other Western country, where that applies. So in most countries, you know, it, it's you know, if you're buying a lower lower gravity beer, a weaker beer, it's cheaper. Whereas in the states, right. it isn't. If if you brew a three percent beer, you said pay the same tax. So you brewed a twelve percent beer. Yep. And so the, so the difference in the price of the ingredients isn't a huge amount. So. So it makes low alcohol beers uneconomic in the in the states, and that's why the states are so much concentrated on stronger beers, because they're the beers that make most sense for the breweries to brew. They're the ones that you make the make the biggest profit on. If you well, want the, to brew four percent miles, you're going to go bankrupt. Well, the worst part about what you're saying is kind of the implied converse, because if you do, and so my brewers. I say 50% of what we brew is below 5% and 50% of what we brew is above eight and a half. And the problem there is when you try to make a great 4% beer, much like you just said, the product isn't very different. But if you're trying to make a 4% beer as well as you can make it, you're using about the same product as if you're making an 8% beer. You know what I mean? Like it's the whole idea that you hop a session pail that you want to be happy differently than an eight and a half percent pale is not true. It costs me about as much to make my little 4.2 beer called boat as it does my 8% O-dub, but I can't charge as much for it because it's only 4%. So conversely, when you're making 4% beers, the move is to try to make it cheaper, like ingredients wise, which is what ends up with it being a far less interesting beer to drink if you want to drink a lot of beers, you know what I mean? So that's the converse problem for me is that you're forced to undermine your lower ABV products in the interest of finding some profit on the shelf. Yeah, no, Unless- I mean, it, 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 I, I mean, I can see it's a, pro- a problem in the States. And, you know, it's like when you see in the UK, in the UK, the whole tax system is geared up to making low, low gravity beers cheap. And so that's why people drink low gravity beers because they're the ones that are the most cost effective. And yep. the, the, the US tax system is completely different. And, and, and it's, it's a shame in a way because, okay, it's meant, meant that in the States you've had loads of quite strong beers developed. But on the other hand, it means that you haven't had loads of low gravity beers de- developed because for most breweries, they make no sense um, because they're not going to make any money on them. Um, you yep. mentioned Mike Karnofsky earlier. Yep. I had this great, a great thing with, with him where he, he, gave, he gave me this AK brute and he said, oh, you know, try that. And I said, oh, this is really nice. 2.7% alcohol. And I said to him, oh, well, do you find this very easy to sell? And he just laughed and he said, well, no, I don't sell this. This is just for me to drink in the brewery while I'm brewing. Yep. <laughs> and, and be, I'm not going to sell this beer. No one's going to drink it. Right. Uh, and, and that is tragic. Yeah, it is tragic. But, but, but I mean... Well, at least I got to brew a nice, to drink a nice AK. So uh, I wasn't arguing. Well, yeah. So right now I am drinking a beer called a Pale Green Horse, which is a collaboration between Jester King and Yazoo. And it's an IPA. I'm just reading on the side here. An IPA brewed with Theol producing Phantasm Powder, Salvo Trident, Nelson Savin, Galaxy Citra, and Mosaic. And I actually like it, despite that last hop that's there. Uh, That's because of Phantasm. Yeah. And it got me thinking, though, in Ron, when you're going back and say, you know, you, Wait, you what's get... the ABV? You can't listen to the discussion you just heard. Read that. Not tell us what ABV this beer you're drinking is. Uh, Jesus. Fuck all. Uh, they didn't put it on the can. Or if they did, I'm not seeing it because it's it's one of these. Yes, labels can that, you look uh, it up, please? Pale Green Horse from Yazoo and Jester King. But here's so. You get the brewing records, and when you're recreating these recipes with Goose and, 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 and other places and Mike and all of that, how helpful is it to have 
any sort of historical information about the individual ingredients themselves from those manufacturers, from those growers. Do those records exist as well? And should whoever's making phantasm powder make their stuff available for future historians? Okay, right. So so you, I was having this discussion actually yesterday with a with a local brewer about sugar and about. So you're talking about hard seltzer. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Sorry, Ron. No, brewing sugar and and exactly how how precisely you could recreate all these things and stuff. It was like, and I thought, right, this is a whole, I don't really want to go down with the sugar stuff because I could end up, I know what I'm like. Once I start researching stuff, I'm quite obsessive and I could spend a whole load of time doing this and is this my main um, my main focus? And no. And, and so it's like, I'm deliberately not going to try and get too much into all the sugar stuff, even though it's completely fascinating. And, and, it's, and, and without the right sugars, you can't brew traditional UK beers. Um, even so, I'm staying out of that one because I'm just going to end up in a hole. Like with East German beers, which I, I, I suggested we talked about here, because no one ever talks about East German beers. Oh, did and you I, give? I, did you give notes? Uh, I don't know if I gave notes, but okay. I, okay. But I think but that I, was I, the I, note. I <laughs> oh, that was the note. Okay. <laughs> I don't say East German beer because no one ever talks about East German beer. The only thing you ever read about East German beer is it was crap, which is complete bollocks. East German beer was wonderful, um, and, and way way better. Sell, sell us on it, Ron. Yeah, get us involved. I'll well, okay, the, be- the, the best Berlin advisor I've ever had was by far the the, the East Berlin Schulteis Berlin advisor. Absolutely magnificent beer. As good as the best Kohlers I've ever had, as, to, as far as sour beers go. We had Really, them the really show. wonderful. Um, Porter. They were the bottle people? Yeah, they were the bottle people. They're hilarious. Go on, Rob. Porter. They, they had proper Britannomyces aged porter. In, in the DDR. Um, some of the, 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 the lager beers, um, Pilsata, I had a couple of Pilsatas, which was as good as the best beers from the Czech Republic. Well, Czechoslovakia, as it was, the, the, then was. Completely underestimated. Everyone thought the beer was shit. I don't know why. Um, it was just old fashioned. I mean, you wouldn't want to keep it for very long. I mean, um, the, 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 the the beer from where my wife wife lived, uh, Eisenach, the Eisenach of beer, you know, you'd want to drink it pretty quickly after you got home. I mean, the official shelf life of the beer was only like six days. Wow. Um, Damn. Like, when you're talking about Eastern IPA Germany, though, are you... Mo- yeah, it's a modern IPA. But are you... are you, When you're talking about Eastern Germany, are you largely talking about Berlin or are we going down to Dresden? Or are we going to... No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about... Here I'm talking about Turingen, which is right down in the uh, in in the um, southwest. So that's where my, my wife comes from. Okay, but you uh, you I'm sorry, I was just jumping back to when you said you wanted to be talking about Eastern. No, German no, no, beer. but but, but it's, it's German beer. People people don't understand. People think it was all rubbish. It wasn't. There was a lot of really good beer brewed in, in East Germany. And, and if I a, may, though. If I well, may, though, how much of that was the branding of the East versus the West, right? So, so when I, oh God, John, I made it the whole, almost the whole conversation without bringing up wine. But there is a wine grape and wine from Hungary called Tokai, T O K J A I. I know Tokai. Okay, so so first time I ever drank Tokai was in. Um, East Berlin with my wife. Okay. So here you go. So here's the problem. Tokai is a lovely wine. Tokai is one of the most interesting dessert wines. Tokai is a Boitritis-sized dessert wine. Tokai even has one of those great old wine things because you're making it out of desiccated grapes where their measure for greatness is how many buckets of grapes it would have taken to make the bottle. John, this is something even you'd like. I believe they call the yeah, you have a number of things something on like that. puntignons. But, but yeah, yeah, you have a if number. You were, of if you were five puntignons versus seven puntignons, that meant there was so much more desiccated grapes to make it that it was further along and therefore sweeter and prettier. So it's like a perfect wine for wine people. However, because it exists 
for so long behind the iron curtain, if you will. The story is that it was never worth knowing or getting to know because communism made everything equal for all people and therefore there were no fine wines and that these things have only stepped back up since the fall of the Berlin Wall and so on. And that's obviously not true. And there's great Tokais you can find from those periods and they're out there. But yeah, that drink, was the market. The marketing was no reason to pay attention to this wine because that's what communism does to art. Okay, Do you know Ron what I mean? is so champing at the I'm, bit. Let let I know. Yeah. Go, finish. But what I'm, that what I'm asking is how much of this branding of East East German beers is shit is just that branding and not. Yeah, true. it's exactly that. Um, uh, and I can say. 100% certain that the best Berliner Weisse was the one brewed in the East. It was fucking magnificent. Mm. It, it was one of the best beers I've ever drunk. Yeah. And um, some of the lagers I had, especially in Turingen, where my wife comes from, down there, they brewed some really, really good lagers. I mean, the Pilsarters, which were the sort of slightly higher class Pilsner type beers, some of those, they were as good as the best Czech beers. I mean, really, really good stuff. They weren't brewed Reinheitz compared, but who gives a damn about that? Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, they tasted really good. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've, I've always stuck up for, for, for East German beer because it's got a, a really bad rap. Um, <laughs> I'd just like to say, well, no, that, there were some that were a bit dodgy. I mean, there were a couple of breweries I wouldn't have drunk the beer from. But in general... But you could say that about Brooklyn, right? Like, like, once you have enough breweries, that's going to happen. Yeah, it's 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 like with everything. I'm, 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 if I was to say the the place where I went to, where there was the best ever general standard of beer, was Czechoslovakia in the mid 1980s, where I never had a single bad beer. All the beer was good, and it varied between good and really good. Nice. Um, and I've never been anywhere like that where the standard was as high. You know, in the States, you go down. I mean, generally, there's, you know, most places you can get reasonably decent beer, um, but not everywhere. I mean, there's still places where you're just going to get, you know, you know, um, you know, some sort of like fairly dodgy American pills now. Um, but yeah, in, in the mid 1980s in, in Czechoslovakia, all the beer was good. That's awesome. Okay, so we're supposed to wind up. We, we've hit the end of our time here. I guess what I'm going to ask... What were we supposed to talk about today, actually? I, I can't we did it. We, Nothing. it. Yeah. we nailed it. So the conceit of the show, it's hard without the beers as the introduction for the conceit, but the conceit of the show is that if you were in town, it's likely you, me, and John would end up in a bar. This is eight years ago when John and I were much closer to each other and bars and John didn't have kids. You mean, you mean personally? But Closer to was, each other personally. Where, where are you anyway? Far more intimate. Well, now we're both, in, we're both in New Jersey, but we might as well be. Oh, New I, Jersey. Used to, I used to work in Jersey City where John used to live. That's sort of a, like so, a version of hell, isn't it? New Jersey. Oh, it's the best version of hell. It's the best version of hell. We've got an entire part of this country that doesn't know the difference between a ham and a sausage. Hey, hang um, on one second. I just want to point out very, very quickly that. Uh, Molson Corps president and chief executive officer is uh, is, is the Brian director. Cass. His name is Gavin Hattersley. And I feel that anybody who wants to write letters on Ron's behalf to get him in to see the the, the Bass archives uh, should reach out to Mr. Gavin Hattersley, uh, care of Molson Corps. Regularly and often. And maybe maybe when Justin listens to this episode, he'll put it on our Facebook page. And I just point out that we had two episodes in a row when I said Justin needs to listen to this episode and then act on something. Those two things, which I completely forget what they are, by the way, uh, didn't happen. Uh, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Hey, Tim Hitchings, would you please put what John just said on our Facebook page? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Anyway, so what I was going to ask, what I was going to try to wind this up with, because so so anyway, to finish on the conceit was that if you were around, we John have said, Ron's in town. I'd be like, I'll meet you. We'll drink. 
and we'd have had this conversation and it all started because we said we should record this conversation. People would find this interesting. So that's all it's supposed to be. So we've yeah. talked about so it. You did great, Ron. We've got no wood to chop. We're not trying to advance anything. If you have anything you need to sell or want to do, I wish it wasn't an AB InBev product, but I'm even willing to let you do that. Um, well, books. Talk books about I've, that got, I've, I've got plenty of books I, can, I could sell. It's, um... we'll sell a book. But what um, I was going to ask is, if it do, are you aware of one of those East German beers that makes it to at least the eastern side of America in good shape? And if so, what should they seek out on the shelves? That that was the thing I was going to leave it on. And now they're all gone. That's that's the thing. That's the thing that makes them <laughs> the, the thing that makes them so wonderful that they've all disappeared. All right. Well, get us a recipe you want us to brew, and I will get together with my guests. Oh, I've got, I've got, I've got, if you want a crazy beer. The, the, I don't. Uh, well, I want a crazy beer, but if you want a good beer, I feel like send us a good recipe. I'll get together with Suarez or maybe uh, Newberg, and we'll just because we're the people who can get away with making small beers that people don't care about. Wait, I want to we'll, hear what Ron we'll make the recipe. But if you want to do crazy, that's a carton beer, and I'll do that alone. <laughs> yeah, well, well, my crazy one was was uh, a double caramel, um, which is a. Uh, a 12 degree beer that's only one and a half percent ABV. Jesus. Mm. That's that. I mean, I mean, how dare you say at the top of the show that White Claw is a beer and then suggest that a milkshake <laughs> with a thimble full of Everclear in it is a beer? <laughs> Send the recipe. I will definitely look at it. Um, hey. It was awesome having you, man. Thank you so much. Go I'll, ahead, I'll point out, though, that uh, since we're all promoting our own shit, that on allaboutbeer.com, there are some really great historical columns from Ron himself that are back up online, including anybody who's ever really wondered the difference between Porter and Stout. He succinctly puts it together as only Europe's premier beer realist can do. <laughs> well, done, that's allaboutbeer.com. Somebody make sure Andy hears that. He'll be so proud. All right, Cass, how do they give us money, dude? Well, how you follow my shit at I drink good beer and I drink <laughs> since y'all be plugging shit. I got more followers than Steelers Beer anyway. So hey, write us letters at Steelers Beer Podcast at gmail.com. Bache Libros Twitter's untapped Instagram. Steal this beer. Uh and Patreons, thank you guys so much for donating. Um, we obviously didn't use your money this week because Justin's out, but you know, maybe we'll use What's it the next best week. nation? Donation. Donation. If you would like to donate with Don't the rest of the Patreons, a to help a fella. that's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, every little bit counts so we can keep our glasses full. Get at us. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Cass. Hey, thanks, hey Rob, Cass. thanks for making the time. I think yeah. we should do this thanks again. For your patience. Maybe even with beers next time. But sorry about the late login, but I we're mean, useless. Augie will make Kennedy. that beer, but it's going to involve coming to the hellscape, as you called it, uh, known as yeah. New Jersey, which um, <laughs> I know, think you're always fun. welcome to stay at the house if you're in town. Ron. I think you'd have fun. We'll figure it out. Anyway, get at us, y'all. Thank you. OK, bye, everyone. <clears throat>